Chapter Four of the Toxin of Revolt and Other Essays. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by K. Han. The Toxin of Revolt and Other Essays by Brander Matthews. Chapter Four. What is American Literature? One. It was in the ninth decade of the nineteenth century that a British historian of the expansion of the British race proclaimed boldly that permanent unity of the several people who have English for their mother tongue, despite whatever political severance may have taken place. When John Richard Green came to record the revolt of the American colonies from British rule and the establishment of the independence of the United States, he asserted that since 1776, quote, the life of the English people has flowed not in one current, but in two. And while the older has shown little sign of lessening, the younger has fast risen to a greatness which has changed the face of the world. In wealth and material energy, as in numbers, it far surpasses the mother country from which it sprang. It is already the main branch of the English people, and in the days that are at hand the main current of that people's history must run along the channel, not of the Thames or the Mercy, but of the Hudson and the Mississippi. End quote. If an American had penned this eloquent paragraph, he would have laid himself open to the charge of boastfulness, and even when an American merely quotes it, he has the uneasy feeling that he may be indulging in a specimen of that vainglorious tall talk which was once unduly prevalent in the juvenile United States. Yet it is well that the facts in the case should be stated thus clearly by a British author of high authority for these facts are often forgotten or at least overlooked by other men of letters both british and american it is useful and indeed it is needful for us all on both sides of the atlantic to be reminded now and again that the people of the british isles and the immense majority of the people of the united states come from the same stocks speak the same language and possess in common the same literature by the aid of an association of scholars mainly british but occasionally american the long story of the development of English literature in the British Isles has been narrated in detail in the fourteen volumes of the Cambridge History. And now there have been added four volumes setting forth the far briefer story of its development in the United States. These four additional volumes deal exclusively with that subdivision of English literature which is naturally and necessarily known as American literature, but which in spite of its separatist name is nonetheless an integral part of English literature not to be omitted from any attempt at a comprehensive survey of the whole. Unfortunately, more than one American historian of the later literature which has come into being in the United States, and more than one British historian of the earlier literature which was born in the British Isles, have chosen to deal with these unequal portions of English literature as though they were each of them self-contained entities in no wise related to one another, thus apparently setting what must be termed American literature in opposition to English literature, of which it is only a subdivision. Yet to detach American literature from English literature is to deny the essential unity of the literature of our language. 2. It ought to be obvious that the literature of any language is one and indivisible. It ought therefore to be indisputable that no book of recognized literary merit, no book in which we discover the twin qualities of style and of substance, can fairly be omitted from any complete consideration of the literature of the language in which it was composed, 
regardless of the nativity or the citizenship of its author or of any political separation which may have taken place between the several peoples who possess that language in common it is an unfortunate fact however that now and again we do find american books and american authors omitted from histories of english literature although we fail to find any corresponding exclusion in the histories of any other literature even when the circumstances seem to be similar not to say identical for example no historian of greek literature has ever ventured to pass over theocritus although that syracusan idyllist owned no allegiance to any greek state and although he may never have set foot on the soil of greece and no historian of french literature has ever hesitated to consider the work and the influence of madame de stal who was swiss by birth who was scandinavian by marriage and who was long exiled from france for these historians of greek and of french literature it was sufficient that theocritus wrote in greek and that madame de stal wrote in french the alien theocritus may be solitary in greek literature but the alien madame de stal has a host of parallels in french literature every historian of the development of literary art in france discusses in turn saint francis de sales who was a subject of savoy and who refused to become a frenchman the scot anthony hamilton the swiss rousseau the german grimm and the italian galliani when the author of a manual of french literature comes to the nineteenth century he pays attention proportionate to their individual importance to the writings of the brothers de mastre who were born in savoy of m maurice metterlinck who was born in belgium of louis frechette who was born in canada and of m Villet griffin who was born in the united states moreover petit de juville and bruntier were led logically by this inclusion of alien authors who wrote french to the exclusion of french authors who wrote only in latin abelard and saint bernard de tal scalier and casuban it is perhaps even more significant that the new library of spanish authors comprehends only writers of castilian including of course those born in the spanish american republics and yet excluding the native spaniards who wrote in catalan in spite of the admirable example thus set by these foreign scholars who recognize the essential unity of the literature of any language it is not unusual to find british historians of english literature who bestow ample space upon the french poems of chaucer and the latin poems of milton and yet who deny any consideration to the essays of emerson the romances of hawthorne and the poetry of poe and whitman composed in the english language the mother tongue of whitman and poe of hawthorne and emerson as it was the mother tongue of milton and of chaucer three probably the explanation of these occasional departures from the precedent accepted as imperative by the historians of every other literature must be sought in the unprecedented relation of the united states to great britain for the first time in the world's history a group of colonies having achieved its independence of the mother country and having organized itself into a separate nation has gone on its own way and followed its own destiny until at last its population has come to outnumber that of the parent islands two to one and this immense increase of the population in the united states has not been derived exclusively from the british isles or even from the kindred stocks out of which the british population was originally recruited as a result of this development and of this divergence the americans and the british are at once alike and unalike and perhaps both parties are more acutely conscious of the points of dissimilarity than of the points of similarity 
the inhabitants of great britain and the inhabitants of the united states know themselves to be the same and yet not the same they are the same in that the americans have inherited the language the laws and the political ideals which the british had earlier evolved they are not the same in that the americans having governed themselves for now nearly a century and a half have had to solve their own problems in their own fashion in their own continent while the british in their group of islands have acquired a mighty empire and have had to confront difficulties very different from those which rose before their former colonists as a result of these dissimilar necessities the british and the americans have developed each in their own direction and they have grown apart in spite of their retention of a common language and of the common law they are two great nations rivals in discovery and invention rivals in the arts rivals in commerce and in finance they are friendly rivals no doubt and they do not feel that latent hostility toward each other which they may feel toward those who speak foreign tongues there has been a hundred years of peace between them and another war is unthinkable none the less is each of them acutely conscious of its own independent nationality and jealous of its own individuality it is small wonder then that writers on one side of the atlantic or on the other lacking in insight into fundamental facts should sometimes be tempted to segregate american literature and to set it apart by itself we may even doubt whether the historians of french literature would have been so unhesitatingly cordial to the swiss and to the belgian authors who had french for their sole means of communicating with the rest of the world if switzerland now surpassed france in population and if belgium now exceeded it in power while the americans of today are still english in many ways they are in no wise british and even the original immigrants cavaliers in virginia and pilgrims in massachusetts right elizabethans as they were suffered a sea change speedily and became subdued to what they lived in nevertheless from the very beginning they held fast to their birthright in the english law in the english language and in english literature to these traditions they were ever loyal and even when they rose against the agents of the british king they held themselves children of chaucer subjects of shakespeare heirs of milton even though they dwell under alien skies with the thousand leagues of the western ocean between the broad new land and the old island home of the race they have always claimed chaucer and shakespeare and milton as theirs by heritage denying any assertion of primogeniture which might disinherit them they have had a stalwart satisfaction in their ownership of english literature as a whole and their descendants of today refuse sturdily to be put off with a younger brother's portion four while we americans have ever gloried in our inheritance of english literature we have also had a natural pride in our own authors and in that native literature which began tentatively in the eighteenth century which revealed itself more amply in the nineteenth and which possesses unknown possibilities of expansion in the twentieth when matthew arnold suggested to saint beuve that lamartine was not an important poet the wise french critic replied he is important to us certain american poets and certain american prose masters are important to us americans even if we are well aware that they may be less important to our kin across the sea though they may fail to prove their ultimate significance when measured by the universal and permanent standards none the less they have special significance for us whose struggles they have recorded and whose hopes they have shared every race says brunetier in his history of french literature is the judge and must be the only judge of its own poets thus it is that racine and lamartine for example are justifiably rated far higher by their own countrymen than would be warranted by a truly cosmopolitan examination of their works 
to hold the scales even and to weigh the american men of letters one after another with the weights which have international validity is a task as delicate as it is difficult yet it is a little less difficult today even if it is not less delicate than it was a century ago when sydney smith was asking who reads an american book previous to the appearance of the sketch book of geoffrey crayon and of the spy the accepted belief that a great nation ought to have great poets and that the united states ought to be endowed at once with a literature commensurate with the expanse of the country had lured more than one native bard possessed of aspiration rather than inspiration into the concoction of ponderous epics to be read by title only this was a manifestation of provincialism of the desire of a locality on the circumference to demand equality with the spot in the center of things provincialism may be defined as an uneasy self-assertion supported by faith but not justified by works it was painfully prevalent in the united states in the first half of the nineteenth century and it was sharply satirized by lowell in an often quoted passage of the fable for critics why there's scarcely a huddle of log huts and shanties that has not brought forth its milton and dantes i myself know ten byrons one coleridge three shelleys two raphaels six titians i think and one appels leonardo's and rubens's plenty as lichens one but that one is plenty american dickens a whole pack of lambs any number of tennysons in short if a man has the luck to have any sons he may feel pretty certain that one out of twain will be some very great person over again and in these same earlier decades of the last century there was to be observed by the side of the self-assertion of provincialism the self-abasing attitude of colonialism of the inability to see our own except through spectacles belonging to british critics colonialism may be defined as a timid deference to the opinion of the mother country and as a blank disbelief that anything good can come out of our own lowell though he did not call it by name could not fail to perceive this colonialism as clearly as he saw the provincialism and he hit at it in his contemptuous dismissal of the writing that suits each whisper and motion to what will be thought of it over the ocean five now at last in these opening decades of the twentieth century it is possible for native historians of the american branch of english literature to discuss it if not with absolute detachment at least dispassionately avoiding alike the arrogance of provincialism and the humility of colonialism the task is not easy even now because the expansion of literature is relatively so recent in the united states that we shall lack yet awhile the perspective of time which is unerring in assigning the exalted positions to the authors of most importance and of most significance by holding fast to cosmopolitan standards we may save ourselves any temptation to take a native goose for a swan of avon and to liken our mocking birds to the alien nightingale there is not likely to be any lamentable failure of justice if the several contributors to a record in the development of english literature here in the united states strive honestly to ascertain the exact position of our leading authors first of all in american literature itself second in english literature as a whole and thirdly and finally in the larger literature of the world present and past thirty years ago the distinguished spanish scholar who had been representing his native land at washington paused in new york on his way home and wrote a prefatory note to the american translation of his delightful novel pepita jimenez 
in this suggestive and stimulating letter of introduction to the american reading public the spanish author diplomat took occasion to assist upon the essential unity of the literature of any language and to dwell upon the necessary recognition of american literature as an integral part of english literature yet he paid us the compliment of remarking that we americans had brought to the common fund of the english-speaking peoples and to the culture of the race rich elements fine traits of character and perhaps even higher qualities he hoped for a favorable reception of his translated tale because he had observed in this american literature of english origin and language a certain largeness of view a certain cosmopolitanism and affectionate comprehension of what is foreign which is as broad as the continent that the americans inhabit and which forms a contrast to the narrow exclusiveness of the insular british it must be noted that don juan valera had earlier warned us that it was a delusion of national vanity to believe that there is or ever will be anything that with legitimate and candid independence may be called american literature and then he made clear his precise meaning greece diffused herself throughout the world in flourishing colonies founded powerful states in egypt in syria and even in bactriana among peoples who unlike the american indians possessed a high civilization of their own but notwithstanding this dispersion and this political severance from the mother country the literature of syracuse of antioch and of alexandria was as much greek literature as was the literature of athens for the same reason the literature of new york and boston will continue to be as much english literature as the literature of london and edinburgh the literature of mexico and buenos aires will continue to be as much spanish literature as the literature of madrid the literature of rio janeiro will be as much portuguese literature as the literature of lisbon political union may be severed but between people of the same tongue and of the same race the ties of spiritual fraternity are indissoluble so long as their common civilization lasts there are immortal kings or emperors who reign and rule in america by true divine right and against whom no washington or bolivar shall prevail and from whom no franklin can snatch the sceptre these tyrants are named cervantes shakespeare and camones nineteen sixteen end of chapter four